What an asshole, Keith. Man, this movie really is deep. Some Kind of Wonderful is pretty in pink how it should have ended. Hello and welcome to the Untitled Gen X Podcast. A podcast sometimes hosted by two childhood best friends, always dedicated to the pop culture that raised us. I'm Kate, a writer and a midwife. And I'm Lori, a writer and a pop culture lover. Today we welcome back a very special guest, friend of the pod, Kenny Stack. Kenny's here to gush all over Gen X's greatest love triangle, 1987's Some Kind of Wonderful. Welcome to the podcast, Kenny. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. It's been a little bit since we've been together, but some kind of wonderful, right? And you guys introduced it perfect. Would you say the perfect love triangle? The Gen X love triangle. It's like the quintessential Gen X love triangle. It really it is. is. It's the lesser known love triangle, right? Don't hear a lot of people talking about it. People talk about what's the one with Molly Ringwald Pretty in Pink. Yeah. It, wait, is that it? Pretty in Pink? With yes, Duffy? which is like the same movie. Yeah. Right. People are like, Some Kind of Wonderful is Pretty in Pink, how it should have ended. So. <laughs> how it should have ended. Well, yeah. I'm so glad that you are both here because you started talking, Kenny, about how Some Kind of Wonderful is like one of your favorite movies. And I'm like, oh my God, it's one of Kate's favorite movies. We have <laughs> got to get all of us together to cover it. So it finally happened. So you guys, tell me why this is like one of your favorite movies. I think I was very drawn to Watts as a character because I was not a girly girl. Mm-hmm. And I always felt a little like I didn't quite fit in with the super pretty girls. And so I was like this person, like it was like an every woman for, you know, those of us that didn't feel super girly. And then it's just, it's good storytelling, right? <laughs> like it's just a good story. Yeah, it really is. Kenny, what about you? Well, I think it's painfully awkward, right? I can't speak for all males, but... No, speak for every single one of them uh, you right now. Well, you know, <laughs> just... I don't know that I can, but yeah, Eric Stoltz's character is a classic, right? For those of us that weren't always, um, I don't know, popular, if you will, or weren't popular, and you were just kind of under the radar type of feeling and and... You had big aspiration, and by aspirations, meaning you had these aspirations to date the the pretty gal, you know, in in school, but you were just kind of short of it. I'm loving what you're saying, and I believe you when you tell it, Kenny. But I have to say, I mean, we all went to the same high school. Yes, we did. And you were very cool, and you got the pretty girl. And I'm thinking. You identified with the underdog aspect of this when we as underclassmen looked to you and thought this is like the popular guy and he got the beautiful girl. Maybe that's part of it, right? I mean, maybe that's the James Dean sort of rebel without a cause where you're just kind of, you know, it's that thing where if you don't know James Dean in his movies, you think he's some kind of tough, rough and tumble guy. But when you watch his movies, he's the exact opposite. He's like this outcast, sort of loner and insecure. I guess we all go to bed alone in a way, you know, you all all go to sleep with your own thoughts in your head and whatever those thoughts are, the ones that, that you feel identify you. And I think maybe that's what it was. Maybe I went to bed every night thinking of Eric Stoltz. Maybe that's what happened. (laughs) 
Not that there's anything wrong. He with was that. thinking of Eric Stoltz. <laughs> I was thinking of Mary Stuart Masterson. You know, it's all this good. is the most progressive podcast. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, I guess that's what it is. Because when I watch it, even now, like I'm a much girlier girl than I was back then, but I still identify much more with Watts. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you brought up the fact that it basically is pretty in pink with what you called like the better ending. Of course, both of those films were written by John Hughes. The director assigned to this film was Howard Deutsch, and he was working on trying to cast the film, and he was really, really struggling. He could not cast the character of Keith. He was like, I can't find the right Keith. I don't know what to do. And so I'm going to bail on this project. And instead, I'm going to go and direct Pretty in Pink for John Hughes. And so while he was doing that, they brought in Martha Coolidge, who was the director of Valley Girl, to direct this film. And I guess the original script was a lot grittier. And that was what inspired Eric Stoltz to take the role. But John Hughes and Martha Coolidge had really different sort of artistic artistic visions for this project, and they were not getting along. So she ended up being taken off of the project, and Hughes brought Deutsch back onto it. Okay, so he had gone and directed Pretty in Pink, and now he's back to basically direct the same movie with the better (laughs) ending. (laughs) (laughs) But when he brought Deutsch back, Eric Stoltz was super bummed because he liked the Coolidge vision of this much more than Deutsch's sort of sanitized version for the, you know, American teenage audience. So it caused like a lot of tension. Eric Stoltz and Deutsch just kind of like butt heads throughout this movie because it was just becoming something other than what he wanted. And Eric Stoltz said, That's why I wanted to get involved, because the idea of making a darker version of Pretty in Pink that didn't have the duckies in it was intriguing, sort of like making a darker version of a kid's fairy tale. Mary Stuart Masterson ended up saying, there was a first draft that was sort of like a broader sex comedy. It opened with Keith masturbating into his pillow. Like, can you imagine? This is like a very (laughs) different movie. She says, also, my character was named Keith. And she wanted to be male. It was more about the issues between parents and kids. That Hughes stuff, you know, it went deep. But that's not the movie we ended up with, you guys. Wait, are you saying Watts' character was originally trans in the original? Well, she's saying that her character was named Keith and she wanted to be male. So interesting. Oh, man. Now I wish we had seen the Coolidge version. (laughs) No. It's a really different movie. Through the development of this, John Hughes was a notorious workhorse. He worked all the time. I mean, I think he just had one of those brains that wouldn't stop. And Deutsch said that they would work so late sometimes in Hughes' office that he would just fall asleep on the couch. He said, quote, he, Hughes, would stay up all night, music blasting, and at like 5.30 or 6 a.m., he'd hand me what was supposed to be a rewrite on some kind of wonderful We needed five pages, and it was 50 pages. And I said, what did you do? What is this? And he said, oh, I didn't do that. I did something else. Tell me what you think. And it was Ferris Bueller's Day Off. (laughs) He said he wrote the first half of the movie in like eight hours, and he finished it a couple of days later. 
Like that was John Hughes. Wow. And, you know, Kenny, you and I covered The Breakfast Club and we talked about how John Hughes banged that script out so fast in like a weekend. It was like no big thing. So we covered that Kate loves this movie. I mentioned I love this movie. What are you, are you fair to Midland or where are you with this movie? So I used to collect VHS movies when I was in high school and this was one of them. I think the reason I bought this movie was because the kiss scene when she's quote teaching him how to kiss. Oh boy. There's a lot to that one. Yes. With the music behind it. Like that is a damn near perfect scene. Like that sold it for me. It's like, it's so erotic. Like oh, the way they shot it and the way they hold, they, they did it. I'm like, it blew me away. It did. Yeah, like it, it blew my 16 year old self away. I think I was 16 when I saw it and I was just like, wow. For something so PG in terms of like, yes, this is a PG 13 film, right? Mm -hmm. Like everybody has clothes on, like they're in the middle of a gas station. Like, (laughs) but yeah. And I think like what does it is when her leg like Mm -hmm. goes kind of around him and then he grabs her, you know, and you're just like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Yes, yes. It's a whole thing. (laughs) It was very, yeah. It was very like, I don't know if scandalous is the right word, but it was very intriguing to my youthful coming of age experience. Yeah. And I mean, can we just say the song She Loves Me by Stephen Duffy? Like, how good is that song so in that moment? Yeah. It's so great. That moment was so powerful. I remember liking boys that were my friends. And it's like, do you tell them? Do you not? It adds a real complication to this love story. And she doesn't want to lose the friendship. So I think I identified with that, maybe not on as deep of a level, but scary. It's risky. It's very risky. I mean, I, I would think it's risky. I personally never had that sort of dilemma. I've secretly wanted that dilemma. Like kind of going like, man, you know, at this, I've seen enough shows and movies to go, people go through this. And I'm like, well, I want to be people too and go through this. But <laughs> I want to be in a love triangle too. I'm trying to think, I think surprisingly for the amount of like dating I have done, I don't think I've ever been in this situation. You've never been in love with a friend. Oh. <laughs> <clears throat> Long pause. Pause for dramatic maybe, effect. Maybe there was, I mean, I don't know if I was in love with them, but definitely had a crush on them. Deep like. Did you like, like, like I like, like liked them. Um, yeah. And like, for sure, it would have been complicated if it wasn't reciprocal. And so I never. But then, but then you go through that thing where you're like, but do they know? Can they tell? Like, am I like accidentally like broadcasting it when I don't mean to, but I like can't help it? It's very, it's complicated. It's complicated. Okay. We were talking about the things that we like about the film, but like one of the things that I don't really like about the film is that I don't really feel like Watts is putting it out there. How does he even know that she likes him other than the fact that she's got strong opinions about Amanda? I mean, she wasn't really putting it out there. That's she I, I wasn't. Get this oh, I disagree, friends. Oh, <laughs> Should we talk about the ways in which she is and isn't putting it out there yes. as we go through the story? Okay. You let us know because I feel like Keith in this situation, I was oblivious to all of this, despite the fact that she just didn't like Amanda. I have like notes, like all throughout my notes. I'm just like, why is he so dumb? Why does yeah. he get it? real? Okay. <laughs> We are going to explore that. So let's jump into this. 
It was released on February 27th, 1987. We open on a little montage where we meet the characters. We meet Tomboy Watts, played by Mary Stuart Masterson. She's playing the drums with her red fringed gloves. Those gloves. I love Iconic. them. Iconic. <laughs> Like the Sheila E gloves or something. I don't know. I don't awesome. know if it's Sheila E, but it's something like that to me. We see Amanda, played by Leah Thompson. She's making out with her boyfriend. They're totally going to do it. And then we meet Keith, played by Eric Stoltz. So this moment where he's walking on the railroad tracks and he skips off right before the train, I remember that so clearly. That left a really indelible impression on me, and I'm not really sure why. Did that mean something to you? Did you remember that? I remembered it a lot and I remember it like seeming really cool. And then now as an adult, I was like, that poor train engineer, <laughs> like, he doesn't know he's going to like veer off right. at the last second. <laughs> Are we setting the table on purpose? Like this whole suicide thing? Like I didn't, I don't know. I guess I thought it was a little more grave. I mean, first of all, truthfully, that train wasn't going that fast. Right. <laughs> like, I felt like it just sort of established him as not cool in the sense of, like, hearty, right? If you would call it. Right. Right. Cool. right, right, right. Call him popular. Uh, but, that you know, so it just sort of set up that contrast, I, th I think. That's how I view it. I got it. it. That's smart. I agree. Yeah. Okay. This is kind of fun. Hughes named the three characters, Keith, Watts, and Amanda Jones, as a nod to the Rolling Stones, Keith Richards, Charlie Watts, and the Stones song, Miss Amanda Jones. It didn't even occur to me until preparing for this show. I was like, oh, it is. D did any of you guys pick up on it before? Not that? at all. Yeah, I knew the Amanda Jones part, obviously. But right. like, yeah, I never put together the rest. That's so. why. Yeah, Amazing. Interesting. So at home, Keith has two sisters. He's got a kid sister, Cindy, played by Candace Cameron. And um, he's got a teenage sister, and they don't really get along that well. And Keith's dad is this, like, hardworking blue-collar man who's really, really excited for Keith to go to college. Keith is a senior. Like, one of the funnest things about going back to rewatch this was what a lovely slice of the 80s the entire film is that like house the furniture everything about the decor in his home i was like yes yeah it's just it's like middle class like wood There's 1980s it was so fun the dishes like obviously it's not a period piece right because like, that was what was common then but it's so fun like if somebody is ever doing a 1980s throwback they need to go watch this film and just mm -hmm. replicate everything there I want to replicate this. Uh, I, that's a thing for me. I, I want to replicate that exact thing in my house. Like I can't get buy off from everybody else in the house. You want some wood paneling? I want to come out of the bedroom <laughs> and I want it to be an exact replica of the family ties house. Nice. I, but oh, I mean, yeah. but why not? That's what I'm thinking. Like, why would that bother anybody? But I mean, it bothers everybody in the house. But yeah, I was going to say it, it bothers your wife. It does. It definitely <laughs> bothers her. But I'm thinking, isn't wouldn't that be cool? It I mean, would be wouldn't cool. Wouldn't that be cool? I mean, but it doesn't have to be family ties. I mean, pick the house of your choice. But married with children. Yes. Make it right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, so Watts drives Keith to school on a suspended license. We don't know why she lost her license, but she does drive like shit, so maybe that's why. And um, these two are clearly best friends. 
For the casting of Keith, director Deutsch offered the role to Michael J. Fox originally, but he passed on it. And that's really interesting because Stoltz was originally cast as Marty McFly in Back to the Future. And I don't know why he was replaced by Michael J. Fox in that film, but you probably know, Kenny, because I know you're like a big Back to the Future fan. Yeah, it just wasn't coming out the way they wanted in Eric Stoltz. What I've read is it could be difficult as an actor. He's a more dramatic actor than oh, a comedic actor, okay. as we probably picked that. up on. Yeah, so he's... Right. He was like Mask, right? Mask was his mm-hmm. big thing. Yes. So yeah, you could see that like the actor... It's funny because I don't see those two as interchangeable. And no. yet like here in both of these films, it's like they're both considered... Right. It's a different movie when you think about Michael J. Fox playing Keith, right? I mean, it's a completely oh, yeah. different movie. Oh, my gosh. It's, a, it's much more of a pretty and pink movie. Right. Exactly. Eric Stoltz brings the grit. Yes, the, <laughs> the grit. It is. It's a little harsher than any of John Hughes' other films. Now, I understand why. Yeah. Uh, for the character of Watts, Hughes actually wanted, any guesses? Molly Ringwald. Molly Ringwald again. And I I don't want to talk shit on Molly Ringwald. God bless. We love her. But like, what? She was just in Pretty in Pink. She was just in this movie. She told The Atlantic, I declined because I felt like the script wasn't strong enough. And it was too derivative of the other films I had already made with John. Hello, Pretty in Pink. He wanted me to play the role of a character called Watts. Watts, not Amanda. But I was ready to graduate from high school. Could you imagine her and Michael J. Fox like this? No, (laughs) this would not have been my favorite movie. (laughs) And it is nothing against either of those two actors. They're so great in what they do. Mm -hmm. But like, it would have been a completely different movie. But Ringwald isn't like edgy. Isn't Watts edgy? No. Like, I don't think you could have given her the cropped blonde hair, hat, the white tank, the red gloves. And thought, oh, she is edgy. Like, I don't think the costuming and the hair would have been enough. No. So this is a fun bit of trivia. Uh, in regard to Watts's hair, at the time of her audition for this role, Masterson had just finished filming this movie called At Close Range, and she had really dark red hair. And she said, I didn't have it professionally dyed from a dark color to a light color. So when I did it, it almost all broke off. So she bleached her own hair <laughs> and Deutsch thought her hair was like perfect for the role. So they stuck with it. Interesting. Yeah, It did. It was good. It was a good fit. Yeah, it works, right? I, I thought so. I mean, it was edgy. It fit with the tomboy persona. She looked very rock and roll. Right. And it looked like hair that like a kid who doesn't have a lot of money, right? You could do that very inexpensively and at Mm -hmm. home yourself, so. Right. Kenny, do you think that aesthetic is, like, sexy or hot, or is that not an attractive look for you? Because I thought she looked amazing. Yeah, I did too. Really, I think that look is very specific to, and I just mentioned cheekbones, but it's very specific to the person's, the shape of their face, right? And so if they can pull it off, some ladies can pull off a shaved head and it's like, it's, it's perfectly fine. Kate and I covered um, the Arrhythmics and like, we could not stop talking about Annie Lennox's bone structure. Like that entire (laughs) episode, we're so obsessed with how beautiful that woman is. And she had short buzzed orange hair and she was the most beautiful woman ever. So. Right. And and Mary Stuart Masterson, to me, she's always Juniper Pearl from Benny and June, which is not such a great role. I mean, she's always cute. You can't mess that up. I agree. 
So Keith and Watts, get, they get to school and they get into it with this like punk guy named Duncan who's giving them crap. In the library, Keith cannot stop staring at beautiful Amanda Jones as she flirts with her boyfriend. And then he's like sketching her. Let's talk about this trope about the guy sketching or painting the girl. This is everywhere. Why is this a thing? I'm going to go with this thing that I heard somewhere. I didn't make it up, but that if you are into somebody, anything that they do seems really cool. And if you're not into them, anything (laughs) that they do feels like they're stalking you. (laughs) We talked about that in Sleepless in Seattle. Yes. Right. So this kind of falls into that, right? Like if you're really like into somebody and they're drawing your picture, you're like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Uh, And if you're not into somebody, you're like, that's super creepy. (laughs) So, But like, he's just kind of always there. Like even in the opening credits, right? Like he sees her say goodbye to her boyfriend outside of her house. Like he's looming outside of her house. And then, you know, here he is in the library and he's like sketching her while she's with her boyfriend. And it's like awkward. He's just always there. It seems very creepy, but to Kate's point, I have that same note going, you know, if, if the girl is into you, it's, it's fine. If she's not, it's really creepy. I think it also sort of, establishes him as an artiste well that was not what i was gonna say as like (laughs) the other right like it really he's like outside looking in at like something that he's coveting her right he covets sure to his credit is not actually creepy about it which i don't know like when he's watching her come back to pe class after she's been with hardy He just kind of has this like amused look on his face, like, oh, look at her, like sneaking in with the other people. So I don't know, like it it doesn't seem like he's like skeezy. And I I think that that is a skill because he could come off as really skeezy. And I mean, we want to like him. So I guess it's okay. Right. Right. We make allowances for it. Right. Like Meg Ryan and Sleepless in Seattle, right? right? We're like, isn't she cute? (laughs) When like... (laughs) Really? Legitimate stalker. You could go to jail for that behavior. Yes, <laughs> totally. Yes. So Watts catches up with Keith to tell him, oh my God, your dad is at school. And his dad's talking to the guidance counselor about college options for Keith, which parents don't really do that anymore, I don't think. And uh, the guidance counselor's like, you know, he has interest in art school. And his dad's like, uh-uh, he ain't going to art school. He's going to regular old college. He goes to art school. What's he qualified to do? Right. <laughs> he could be creative on his own time. We're looking for a business program. <laughs> this is the best part. When the dad <laughs> is walking out of the school and he spots his teenage daughter, Laura, in class through the window and he knocks on the door and says hi and she literally screams. <laughs> oh, my God. Epic. But like. What makes it so much better is his reaction because he's kind of like, oh, what happened? And then he's like, uh, uh, oh, I think I did a bad thing. <laughs> and then he goes away. It is literally your only job as the parent of a teenager to not, to embarrass, not them. embarrass them. Like they want you around, but they don't want you around. So you need to be there and not there at the same time. You need to exist there, but stay completely under the radar. Kenny, is this your experience with your kids? So my daughter's a freshman in high school, right? So you're in this transition period where you don't know if knocking on the door is appropriate to wave. You always think, well, I'm different. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a cool, cool dad. Cool. Yeah, I'm cool. 
Okay, this is when Keith, because he's a lurker, he spots Amanda's boyfriend, Hardy, flirting with Mia, who is played by China Phillips. He gives her a little kiss. He's like, I'll stop by, you know, at your house this week. And Amanda catches him. Well, and he's like, I want you to stay close, but not too close. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's a winning line right there. That's a winning line. Amanda sees this. She gets super pissed. And he's like, how can you be so beautiful and insecure at the same time? <laughs> trust is the basis of any relationship. I trust you. And that's when he gives her his ring. He's such a gaslighter. He's the worst. And also, do you notice later when she throws that ring in the locker room, like the way it like clings on the floor, like that was not a high value ring. <laughs> <laughs> I have to give him credit though, because there is something admirable about somebody who can deliver such a line and do it with, you know, a straight face and actually believe right. it. He's a really good douchey dude. Like he, <laughs> right? he does it well. He like embraces that we all know plenty of girls who fell for not exactly that line but they fall for the hardy gens of the world right i mean i'm feeling very judged right now (laughs) (laughs) well when you're young and you lack experience (laughs) and this person's popular and this guy's rich and like probably all the girls want him and he chose you and even Mm. if he's choosing other people on the side he's telling you that you're the one you want to believe him. I don't know. I think it's an easy trap when you're young. Well, he provides her a certain status for sure. And so it's not just like, Oh, let me walk away from him because he's being a jerk to me. It's like, well, if I walk away from him, like I now have no friends, I have no trips, nothing. So yeah. Then creeping in the background. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, as for always. Jeez. Okay, in terms of casting for Amanda Jones, did you know Kim Delaney was originally cast in the Amanda role? But once the director, Martha Coolidge, was released from the project, Deutsch really wanted Leah Thompson. But Leah Thompson didn't want the Amanda role because Watts was the better character. She said, I didn't want to play second banana. I was very jealous. So she had turned it down. She didn't want it. But then Howard the Duck came out in 1986 and totally flopped. It was like so, so (laughs) bad. bad. She said, it was a brutal bloodbath. I was so afraid to even look the crew in the eyes when she decided to take this role. She's like, I cried the very first day. I was like, I don't know how to act. I just felt so vulnerable and beaten. And um, she was like a hot mess during filming. Well, she should be really glad that they didn't cast Michael J. Fox and Molly Ringwald alongside her. <laughs> I know. She may never have acted again. <laughs> I mean, wow, right? And then for Hardy, Kyle McLaughlin, oh. Trey McDougal from Sex and the City, mm-hmm. and of course, the infamous showgirls. He was originally cast as Hardy and Jens. Twin Peaks. Let's not forget. Oh, and Twin, Twin Peaks. Peaks. <laughs> But again, once Coolidge was replaced by Deutsch, the role was recast and given to Craig Sheffer. So, I mean, I think Kyle McLaughlin could have played it, but I thought Craig Sheffer was fantastic. Yeah, I think Craig Sheffer really, like, I had an acting teacher who used to say, like, nobody ever wants to play the bad guy really well because it suggests that there's, like, some part of you that maybe is that much of a jerk. Oh, 
How do we feel about Leah Thompson as Amanda Jones? Any thoughts on that? I've got thoughts. I I like her. So, I mean, I guess. I don't know. I, I think it was fine. This feels terrible to say out loud as an adult woman, uh, but as a <laughs> young child of the patriarchy, uh, I can remember thinking like she didn't feel pretty enough to me to be that role, which she's beautiful. Oh my God, like, she's stunning. But like she wasn't. She wasn't blonde. I think that's what it was. I think it, honestly. <laughs> and like. And how ridiculous, right? Like she wasn't blonde and her haircut just didn't look like the popular girl's haircut to me in my head. Like, I, it's so dumb. It wasn't um, feathered enough? Like, what was wrong <laughs> with Honestly, it? for the 80s, it really was not feathered <laughs> enough. Um. <laughs> I think Leah Thompson is a beautiful woman, but for all the Amanda Jones hype, when they talk about how hot she is and all these things. and She has a wholesome quality to her that doesn't make her, like, the sexy one like she's so good in Back to the Future because she does have that wholesome quality. Yes, I feel like the casting was a yeah. little amiss, and we can blame Deutsch for that. And there's a deeper reason for that, which we will get into later. Oh boy. Okay, so this is when Keith is at work. He's like a mechanic at the gas station, and Watts is there hanging out with him. And he asks her, like, "Hey, what do you think of Amanda?" And Watts, who always delivers the lines, right? She's like our our wise Yoda. Yes. She has like those cutting philosophical lines. She says, don't go mistaking paradise for a pair of long legs. Right. Mm. It's Bob Dylan quality right there. (laughs) Yep. Watts thinks Amanda runs with the rich and beautiful crowd. So he shouldn't even try. Like you don't even have a chance in this. And you're too shy and too broke anyway. Thoughts on that, and then thoughts on the fact that Keith is so clearly wearing eyeliner in this scene. <laughs> I cannot with this. Did you guys clock it? I did not. I, I did not clock it. Oh my God, go back. He is wearing aggressive eyeliner. Nowhere else in this film is it as bad as it is in this scene. And all I can figure is that, you know, he's a ginger. So maybe he has like, red or blonde eyelashes or something and they just wanted to like mascara so okay i digress but like what do you think about this he doesn't have a shot with her because he's too shy and too broke i need to enter this into evidence as like point number one hello keith watts is in love with you because she says you don't have a chance because she bristles so much at him asking her about this girl. But she could have done that anyway, just as a friend, even if she didn't have like a love interest in him. Like, I just don't see you okay, guys. As but a we're going to string together all of these points. And this is point number one. This is one A. Yes. Into evidence. Okay. Yes. What are your thoughts on this, Kenny? Yeah. I mean, it's like she's protesting a little too much, I guess. I, uh, I don't know. But I mean, maybe is that she how just that works? doesn't want him to get hurt. Like she loves him maybe just as a right. friend right now. And that's how he's taking it. Like you're going to get hurt. Don't do it, dude. But also like in her mind, Amanda represents all of the things that Watts oh, isn't and doesn't like. Maybe because Watts feels so left of center, doesn't understand that popularity world, all of that, that she's just like, ugh, no, don't even. Like, I don't like those people. I think it's like, how could you like her? I think, like, I think the depth of it, right? It's like, 
I like you. I want you to like me. And you like her? <laughs> like she's everything I'm not. Exactly. Like, oh my God. <laughs> Haven't you ever had that where you're like, I love this person and I see all of their wonderful qualities and all they want is this person who's just going to like treat them like shit and not appreciate them. And this is terrible. Clearly, clearly I identify with Watts. <laughs> you see that because you are in love with them or because you feel like we're really, I know you really well as a person and this is you deserve so much better than this. I think the intensity of it is what gives it away. Okay. I can see how he missed it. I can see how he missed it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. It's the beginning, right? It's the because like I think she feels a sense of ownership of him and now he wants to go to the other. Ownership right? of him. Yes. That's that's ownership the key right there. Or protection. No, I think she feels like he's mine. Okay. Whether it's romantic or friendship or whatever, like he's mine. And now he wants to go be part of this other group. And I can't go. I can't be part of that group. Ooh. Okay. So this is when Hardy and Amanda pull up at the service station in Hardy's convertible vet. He's a total asshole to Keith when <laughs> he orders him to like check the oil and then he honks the horn while he's under the hood. And he's like, oh, you like looking at my girlfriend, huh? Keep your eyes and your mind off my property. There's 10 for the gas and 10 for the look. Ooh. Yes. And Watts, I don't know if she says it prior to this scene or after, but she says, well, obviously she gets off on it. I don't know if she like gets off on it, but it doesn't bother her enough to step away from it. Right. It can't be the first time that Hardy Jans has behaved this way, right? Uh, no. And, no. You right. know he's mean to wait staff, even if he dresses <laughs> like a waiter. Even though he looks exactly <laughs> like one. Right. And Eric Stoltz does a great acting job in that whole part. Oh, right my there. gosh. It's, just, it's so good. It's so understated. I mean, it's just so good. You know what's funny, though? So when I was younger, it took me a long time to figure out what he was actually doing. I think I had to watch it many times before. I was like, oh, because he yes. stole the dipstick yes. uh, out of the car. So I was watching this time. You never see where the dipstick was this whole time. He just all of a sudden like has it in his hand and throws it away. Like there's like an edit. And I was like, oh, I wanted to see him like, I don't know, like have it like up his sleeve or something. <laughs> you get the sense that it on the cutting room floor, there was some follow-up where Hardy's, Hardy's car has an issue. I would have loved to have seen it. So the next day, Hardy drops Amanda off late to PE where of course, Keith is there and he's watching and um, he sees her get a detention for being late. And so he's like, okay, a detention is the best idea ever. So I'm, I want to spend some time with her. So he pulls the fire alarm. It's time for detention. And he's stoked because he's like, this is my opportunity to spend time with her. And when he arrives, he realizes detention is a really scary place because it is. And um, Amanda's not there. Crap. Right. And he's there with all the misfits. And he's like dressed up, right? <laughs> yes. All the kids in detention are like so sketch. They're so scary, right? Like tearing a book and breaking a pencil. They're like, you're a dead man. <laughs> I loved it. Which had she actually served detention, it would have been a really genius move because she probably would have been like, I've seen you before. You're the least scary person in this room. Let's hang out. <laughs> I totally agree with you. But like, can you blame her for not wanting to go to detention? Right. And so what does she do? She flirts her way out of detention. At the time, 
did not disturb me at all. Right. Now, totally problematic. Now, I'm like, ew, what is wrong with that teacher? I loved it when she was like, I love the way you do your hair. All the girls say so. He's like, balls. And like she reaches out and like touches his tie. And I'm like, (gasps) (laughs) so in the next scene, Watts and Keith talk about Amanda. And again, Watts is like, don't do it. And he's like, you don't know how I feel. You don't know how strong these feelings are. And she insists that she does. Okay. I will take this as evidence 1B to your point, Kate. Yeah. He says, you've been in love before. And she says, there's a lot you don't know about me. It's subtle. She's not just going to be like, yo, Keith, I love you. Like, right? That's not her. Right. Well, in detention, Keith is forging a a very unlikely friendship with Duncan. It's kind of adorable. I'm into this friendship. What do you guys think about it? And I have a note here about when he marks, does the vandalism on the desk when he pops it off of the actual frame, like <laughs> yeah, it takes him like, like three it. times to <laughs> right. do it. That was genius. I'm like, man, this is really, it's really good. I loved it. We're now in the girls locker room, which of course is a mainstay of any good eighties teen film. And um, we get to see Amanda strike her sexy pose in her tank top with no bra and her jockey underwear. And um, Watts is looking at her. Yeah. So here's another John Hughes, like, common thing right yeah like and i'm trying to remember now i know there was at least like one or two girls who really were like the naked girls in the locker room right like they would like take off all their clothes and walk around and think nothing of it but for the most part my experience of locker rooms was girls like trying to get dressed (laughs) as quickly as they could with their back turned to like their locker or you know like their back turned and they're like trying to shield your body with your locker door like it's like you're doing everything in your power no one took showers oh god no and like if you did because it was like swimming or something you would like go in your swimsuit and rinse off and I'm like, why is it in John Hughes films? People are always like super naked and prancing around. But it's car. not just John Hughes films. It's every 80s film ever. Yeah. So it's now nighttime and the teens of the town are all like hanging out at the local spot. And once again, Hardy is flirting with another girl. And Amanda is super over it. She breaks things off with him. Keith witnesses this whole thing, of course, because he's a stalker. He's right there. And he seizes this opportunity to call Amanda over and ask her out. It's so awkward. I think he knew what he was doing, right? I mean, he'd already seen the China Phillips episode, right? Yeah. So he was kind of like timing it. Like, I'm going to pounce now and catch her at this moment where she's, it, it could be that he's saving her. But wouldn't he also be thinking like, she's just saying yes to get back at him him like this is not an emphatic yes so i think he went there with the intention of asking her out but then i think this situation presented itself and he was like okay but like as much as he likes her there's like animosity between them right that like really Mm. comes out when they're on the date but even here you see it where he's like i'm gonna like kind of call you on this situation you're in and see are you gonna take the opportunity to step away And she kind of sees that he's doing that, but is like, "Eh, yeah, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm kind of annoyed, but I'm going to do it. I miss that. Like, totally over my head. Well, it is my favorite movie. (laughs) Interesting. No, it makes sense. Wow. 
Okay. So it's now breakfast time at the Nelson house and everyone is sitting around the table, which for breakfast, did you do that? No, nobody does that. that? That's not real. (laughs) That never happened one time. I get the impression that the Nelsons eat breakfast and dinner together as a family every single day. Right. Yeah. With milk. So Keith is in totally good spirits, which is really out of character. And his family's like, what's up with him? And um, he started calling his parents by their first names. I love that because, you know, they're (laughs) equals now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Carol. This is when his sister, Laura, tells the family of the rumor that's going around about Keith and Amanda's upcoming date. And the dad doesn't care about this. He only cares about college. He brings up college again. And Laura, the sister, is like, ease up, dad. Any fool can get into college. Only a precious few may say the same about Amanda Jones. Yeah, that's a great line. Zinger. So at school, Watts is really bumming hard about this Keith Amanda thing. So this is when she tries to get that guy Ray to like hang all over her and, and make Keith jealous. He tells her, Ray tells her, people think that she's confused. You know, we keep talking about Watts. We keep talking about her being a boy and all this stuff and all that but again, it's Mary Stuart Masterson is clearly not a boy. No. And she clearly is adorable and she's very cute. Mm-hmm. So it makes it that much harder. I, th- I think that's why we're giving Keith such a hard time for not seeing it. She's clearly not somebody you would ignore. Because there's this like underlying idea that kind of floats through the whole thing of like Watts is a lesbian. Uh-huh. But I don't get the sense that Keith thinks that. I don't either. That would be one thing if he thought that. And so that was his reasoning for being like, well, she's not into me. But I don't get that vibe from him ever. And now that you told me the thing about like the original script, I'm like, how many of these lines are left over? Yes. Watts as Keith, who wanted to be a boy. Right. Right. That's what Mary Stewart Masterson said. It's a poor rewrite. Like things that got left in, but like maybe made more sense in the other context. Mm. Yep. Mm-hmm. In the Coolidge oh. version. Yeah. Keith asks to borrow Watts's car <laughs> because he wants to give Amanda a ride home. She reluctantly agrees to go. She doesn't really want to, <laughs> but Watts's car won't start. And he's so pissed. He just drops the keys into the car and does not even bother telling Watts, which was <laughs> super crappy because he told Watts, like, I'll be back in like an hour. Uh, he didn't even take her car. He just left. I mean, Amanda's able to nab a ride from her friend Shane. She gets Keith a ride home also. And they just leave. And here Watts is at the school waiting. Her car is still there with the keys inside. She doesn't even know it. What an asshole, Keith. That is a weird move. Yeah. Well, and also anyone who drove an old car knows you can't just keep at the engine like that. You'll flood it. <laughs> like I had an old car and he you can do it mechanic. like. He should know these <laughs> things. It's true. I forgot that. He's a mechanic. <laughs> yeah, he's a mechanic. Why doesn't he fix her car? I mean, is he really a mechanic though? Like he changes oil, I think. I don't know. Okay, but like... he knows more than like the average teenager right. with a beater car. Probably. Right. True. Yeah. Okay, Keith doesn't care about Watts, clearly. He's in the car with Shane and Amanda. And this is when he compliments Amanda's diamond earrings. And he finds out they're not actually Amanda's diamond earrings. She borrowed them from Shane. Uh, In the next scene, Keith is working on a painting in the art studio at school. And this is when Hardy waltzes in in his signature blazer. 
(laughs) Keith like quickly and nervously covers the painting. Hardy tells Keith, hey, man, like I was looking for a way out with Amanda. So like, thanks for that. And I'm a good guy. I don't want to I don't want to be mad at you. You know, why don't you and Amanda come to my house for a party? My parents are going to be in Europe. They're so rich. They're going to be in Europe and um, I'm having a party come over. And Keith is like, obviously cautious about his motives. Hardy tells him, oh, Amanda's totally cool with it. And, like, this whole scene makes me, like, physically uncomfortable. (laughs) Because, like, to his credit, Keith doesn't just let it go, right? Like, he keeps being like, yeah, but you can understand why I'm cautious. And, like, and Hardy just, like, doubles down on it every time. (laughs) He's just like, come on. to him. It wouldn't be the weirdest thing in the world if you and I turned out to be friends. And Keith is like, yes, it would. <laughs> We're now at a club. And um, Watts shows up. She looks like she's been crying, like pretty crying. And she asks what? Keith, where's Amanda? She says, maybe she doesn't like you as much as you think. Yeah. This I can put into evidence, Kate. Watts says, do you miss me? Do you miss being around me? And this is when Keith says, this isn't third grade anymore. Mm -hmm. And Watts is like, she doesn't love you. It's a joke. Keith asks her, how does she know? And she says, I'd bet my hands on it. And he tells her, you don't want to make that bet. Oh, the scene. I get all the feels from this scene. (laughs) Yes. This is where I'm like, okay, now you're really blind, friend. You're really blind. Through this whole time, she's kind of had this you know, mask over her feelings. And now she's to this point where she can't really keep it all bottled up and it's bubbling over and he still doesn't get it. And he just thinks it's all about him. But for a drummer to bet her hands, that's a huge thing. It's a powerful line, but nowhere in this does she say her true feelings. She's saying we're driving each other crazy and I don't want you to hate me. The only things I care about in this goddamn life are me and my drums and you dot 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 as a friend question mark to the point that i'm crying and like upset like that that's where i'm really like okay keith come on but she had every opportunity to just say the thing he's obsessed with the girl why would you choose that moment to say the thing it feels like a big jump from where we were with these two and now we're here and she still can't say the thing. That's my problem. As much as she said, I mean, that's saying the thing. I don't think it's the words. Yeah, it's not the words, right? Like, he's not just her friend. Like, he's her person. I mean, okay, I guess you all are thinking she's saying the thing. She's saying and showing and doing. Yeah, it's all there. But he does come around a little bit, right? He's like, wait a minute. At the end, he's kind of like, wait, what just happened? Right. Yeah, he looks shell-shocked. Yes. But not shell-shocked in that my best friend is in love with me. Shell-shocked in what was that? Right. Like, what just happened? But, like, one might think he could take the other pieces of evidence we've had so far and been like, oh, wait, maybe? But no, he doesn't. So this is the scene where we're now at school and Hardy follows Amanda into the girls' locker room. Then. Keith's sister overhears Hardy's plan to nail him at the party, and she has to break the news to Keith. And um, she thinks Amanda is in on it, too. 
it's a sad thing, right? Like having to break this news, but this is the first time these two have like a genuine moment together. Right. You know, obviously Keith is really upset. This is when he goes to visit Watts. He tells her, you were right. And Watts is like, you can't go to that party. But he insists on standing up to him. So what do you guys think about Keith insisting on going to the party to face Hardy? I think he already has a plan. He knew something was up. Like where it gets confusing is like, she really isn't in on it. Right. But my question is, is if he tells Watts, oh, you were right. And he thinks Amanda is in on it. Why does he still want to go on the date with Amanda? Why does he still give her diamond earrings? Why does he still do all the things that he does? Then it's sort of like Keith gets his revenge because he doesn't give her the diamond earrings to make her feel special exactly. He kind of gives her the diamond earrings to make her feel bad. Okay, what about the painting? Well, he had already And he takes her out on this nice date. Right. Well, he had all these pieces in motion. He hadn't even bought the earrings yet, Katie. But he still had the idea. Like, he had the idea of what this date was going to be, what he was going to do on this big date with Amanda Jones. And then this wrench gets thrown into it. Right. So I'm going to spend all of my hard-earned money, my entire future, to execute this plan? Essentially. Because he wants to matter. Right? He wants to do something that matters. And sadly, he's choosing to matter to Amanda Jones instead of the person that he actually matters to. Wait, how is he going to matter to Amanda Jones if she's in on this joke and he thinks that she's in on this joke? Because he's going to make her feel like a piece of shit if he gives her these super expensive He makes her feel like a piece of shit. So what? It's going to make him feel better. Would you rather be right or would you rather be happy? Sometimes you'd rather be right. (laughs) I don't even get the impression that that's why he's doing this. I feel like something really critical was cut out. I don't understand his motivation. It would be one thing if he didn't believe his sister. Mm. It would be one thing if he, he doubled down on the fact that this is not a joke. There's no way my perfect Amanda Jones could be in on this. I don't believe it. He even explains it to his dad when his dad's like, what did you do? And he's like, you know, like, weren't there like weird kids at your school? And like, yeah, this is my chance to go out with the Amanda Jones, the girl that everybody wants. I get it. This is his chance to do that. But like his entire future. So let's just skip ahead. He takes all of his money that he has ever worked for. And he decides to buy Amanda diamond earrings because she doesn't have a pair. I will admit. It's an odd plot point. It's weird. That's it. (laughs) It's weird. The end. Also, how weird would you feel on a first date with someone that gave you a pair of diamond earrings? I would be so uncomfortable by that. Oh, for sure. I don't, I don't, I would not take them to be totally. Oh God, me neither. It's a weird move. Like their whole date is just awkward and painful in so many points. Let's get into it. It's the day of the date. This is the scene where Keith is at work before his date and they have the kiss. Watts and Keith practice the kiss. And I know we talked about it at the start of the pod, but God, that's such a good scene. It gives me all the feelings. Yeah. I can remember just being like, I want to kiss someone like that. (laughs) It's like goals. Kenny called it erotic. (laughs) I, I thought that was super passionate. I love 
Watts in this scene, though, because she's playing it off like, okay, do you want to practice? Can you deliver a kiss that kills? And he's like, "Uh, uh, like, I thought I could, but. I'm trying to help you. I'm doing you a favor. (laughs) Like, I could leave right now. (laughs) I know. And I love it when she's like, pretend I'm her. And then she goes, I know it's a stretch, but try. (laughs) And then she's like, did I scare you? (laughs) So, of course, they have this kiss and they have chemistry. And she pushes him off and she's like, class is over. You're cool. Like, that's it. And like, she just needs to leave. And Keith is like, you're blushing. And then he goes, you're pretty. It's like he hadn't seen it before that moment. Well, it's like he hadn't seen that she was like a girl, right? He had seen that like she was his friend. And like in that moment, he's like, oh, who is this before me? Also, where did Watts learn to kiss like this? Because they never say that like Watts had a relationship before or that he had a relationship before. Right. No, like presumably this is both of their first kisses, which like, oh, to have that as your first kiss. <laughs> Mine was not that remarkable. <laughs> Mine wasn't either. Again, it's it's really tough, right? I mean, it's tough because, you know, as much as they try to make Watts not be so attractive. And kissable. <laughs> and kissable. And she, but she is, right? I mean, it's it's really a hard sell. It's clearly that she's into him. At this point. And even if you didn't, as soon as you kissed and had that like, whoa. Then you would know. Haven't you had that where you kiss someone and you're like, whoa. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yes. But still, I don't get the impression, even though they have this great kiss. This leads me to the end of the film that he felt the same way. I think, again, we have, like, bewildered Keith, right? Like, in the club, he was like, wait, what just happened? And I feel like, again, he's like, wait, what just happened? <laughs> yeah. Okay. He's not ready to piece it together yet. All right. <laughs> I'm so smart. I can come up with this very elaborate plan for this date and this party. Right. But, like, the girl I've known my whole life who's pretty cute and is a good kisser and is, like, really missing me, I don't know what that's about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Oh, well, I have a date. He's he's got a date with Amanda Jones. He's got to see how that plays out. So we see them all getting ready for the date. This is when his dad freaks out that he's spent the money and they have their come to Jesus. I have to say, to his dad's credit, when he comes into the room after after getting out of the shower, he doesn't immediately explode. He says, I want to know what's wrong. Are you in trouble? Right. And I'm like, what a good dad. Because that would not have been my reaction. I would right. have blown up. Right. I know. And I was like, huh, good for you, dad. Keith is comfortable confronting his dad about it. He wasn't cowering to him. Like, and clearly the house is filled with love and the whole dinner and breakfast. <laughs> All that family dining. <laughs> All that family dining. You know, I felt like John Hughes or the writer did a very good job of depicting a somewhat realistic argument that could have been something where the guy's angry, but he still loves his son to listen to his son. And Yeah. Okay. So now Keith in his suit picks up Amanda in her red business suit and cowboy boots for their date. And Watts third wheels it by dressing like the chauffeur and acting as the chauffeur. How do we feel about that? Because that's... I I feel like it was weird. I think that's all I have to say about that. It's a tough situation, right? And then they go to this fancy restaurant and he orders them the beluga caviar. (laughs) He doesn't even know what that is. Right. And Keith is like, I thought you were an uptown girl. 
And she's offended by this. Like, I don't know why he thinks she's an uptown girl when he knows where she lives and he knows that they don't come from money. I know she runs with a rich crowd, but like, that's kind of weird. And this plays into Kate's earlier point. Like, is he gaslighting her? Is he manipulative? Yeah. Is he partially into her, but partially like gaslighting her? Is this whole thing? Because it gets real complex at this point. He could sense that it was going south. And so he orders her a burger. But also he's drinking milk at the restaurant. (laughs) Why? (laughs) She's drinking champagne and he's drinking milk. (laughs) I'm getting a whole different light on Keith that I didn't catch immediately, but I think that's probably what was happening was do I like him or is he just an angry individual? I don't so know. So by the end of this podcast, you're basically saying you're going to hate this movie now. Like you thought you loved it. <laughs> That's what we do here at the Untitled Gen X. We we take <laughs> beloved classics and we ruin them. I still love it. But I think I loved it for these exact reasons where it's just all 97 minutes of it. It's just troubling. Like there's something, there's an undercurrent that's troubling about it, right? I mean. It was a grittier film. It's so definitely it's grittier. Like, Kind of gritty, but sanitized. Right. It's not the grittiest it could be, but it's grittier than your standard John Hughes film. Yeah. Like, I don't know that he's 100% convinced that she's in on it, but I think he's, like, not convinced that she's not in on it. So he's sort of dancing this line between, like, I really like you, but then, like, also maybe you're an asshole, so I'm going to be an asshole to you. Mm, Okay. Like when I think of John Hughes films, we've done Breakfast Club and it wasn't this confusing. This one really is genuinely and perplexed by what's happening here with these characters. I feel like it lacks cohesiveness or I feel like there's critical elements that are missing. These people have all ended up in this circumstance through this like really weird turn of events. And like nobody actually wants to be in it. But, like, they're all there, so they have to, like, muddle through it, and there's complex feelings. And, like, in that sense, I feel like this probably also is left over from the grittier version. Yeah. But we're missing some context. Yeah. As they leave the restaurant, this is when Watts gets kind of passive-aggressive with Keith, right? Right. She drives super shitty so Amanda can't put on her lipstick, which is classic. This is when, like, everyone realizes, like, ooh, there's... Tension. Right. The tension is building. This is where Keith feels like truly like he's the man, right? Like these two girls are going to fight for him. (laughs) Uh, You know what, though? I still don't think he gets it. I think he's (laughs) kind of like, wow, Watts really doesn't like Amanda. (laughs) But like. (laughs) He's thinking to himself, wow, she's really not into Amanda. Why? (laughs) But I do think that this is like when Amanda's like, oh, oh, I see. Absolutely. Girl to girl, she gets it. So they arrive at the museum and um, this is when Watts says to Amanda, you break his heart, I break your face. So now Mm. it's getting physical. Like the threats are getting physical. Uh, Amanda was like, oh, like now I definitely get it. I don't know why Keith doesn't get it, but I definitely get it. (laughs) And it's very 80s line, right? Break his heart, I break your face. Right. All the Watts lines. They're good. They're classic. So he's taken her to this museum. It's closed, right? It's after dark. But Duncan's dad works there and got them in. And so he takes her to show her the painting that he painted of her. Like, I don't know how he found the wall space. And the frame. Like, that's not a cheap frame. And he, what, just, like, hung it on the wall in this museum? 
Maybe he took down a really important right. piece of art. <laughs> he just went in there. Didn't have an alarm on it or anything. He moved yeah. to Van Gogh. It's fine. Yeah. Like this, I'll get rid of this one. This is my church, but I'm going to desecrate it right now. Right. <laughs> With my own work. Right. right. So this painting of her, she's like looking sad and leaning against the walls. It, it's a very sort of solemn depiction yep. of her. What do you guys think of the painting? I think it's cheesy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, mean, I think it's, it's a, a good, good painting. painting. Yeah, okay. it's a good painting. It's supposed to, like, show, like, the angst of her soul and, like, uh, I, don't know. I, I don't like things like that. She doesn't know <laughs> what to say. I, I feel like we don't know what to say. It, right. Nobody speaks any words. Right. And meanwhile, Watts is, like, crying in the car. <laughs> this is interesting. This is good trivia. The director, Deutsch, he had a big old crush on Leah Thompson, which was why he wanted her in the movie. And he had upwards of 10 paintings of her commissioned for the film. Oh, boy. Oh, so he is the creeper. (laughs) Right. I see. This is life imitating art. Yes. Art imitating life, whatever. Leah Thompson said there were all these paintings and they were all lined up on the soundstage. And he, Deutsch, kept saying, no, it's not good enough. They must have spent forty thousand dollars on those paintings so she only ended up keeping two of them there were like 10 or 11 of them and she said quote i should have kept the other ones because people will tell me they're touring the prop house at paramount and they're (laughs) like i saw nine paintings of you in the prop house (laughs) how awkward but in the end she ended up marrying Deutsch in 1989. No, no I'm disturbed by this. They have two kids <laughs> together and they're still married today. Oh, that's amazing. Wow. Well, he got his Amanda Jones. Look at right. Him. He did. It does work. Huh. I mean, it worked for them. I don't know that it works for this scene, but, but where's his Watts? You have to ask. I... <laughs> There's some broken hearted girl out there. That's true. Playing a, you know, a three, four beat, a swing beat. <laughs> I'm not sure how I feel. I mean, I mean, good for them because it sounds like they love each other and have a happy life. So yay. But like, I have weird feelings about it. Now, these kids are at the Hollywood Bowl alone at night. This is when things get deep between these two. Amanda tells him, I'd rather be next to somebody for the wrong reasons than alone for the right ones. So before they could stand together, they had to stand alone. I don't know. Is that the tie-in? Mm-hmm. Right. I think that's kind of where they were going but with like, that. It's not like they stand together. It's, it's, yeah, it's a bad tagline. Yeah. And Keith confronts her about how tonight is a joke, how the date is a joke, and that she used him. And she admits that she did in a way. And then she calls him out for using her. She's like, You're using me to pay back every guy with more money and more power than you. Yeah. And that's true. Yeah. And he admits it. He says, you're right. I'm sorry. Man, this movie really is deep. It's right? it's deep. It's dark. It's yes. dark. I mean, I guess they decide to call it even and they hold hands. And this is when he gives her the box and says, in this box is my future. Every cent I ever earned is for you. Um, hello, it's no creepy. pressure or anything. <laughs> right. And she's floored by these diamond earrings. She insists that she can't take them. She does end up taking them, though. I mean, they kiss, and they walk out to the car together holding hands. And Watts is like, I don't even want to drive you to Hardy's party. But she ends up doing it anyway. 
And um, this is when they get to the party and they walk in and and Hardy greets them. Oh, this is so 80s, Kenny. Yes. Hardy asks when they walk in, he asks Keith, did she do you? (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. That's great. So gross. And then he says, the one thing I'm glad about is that you get her used. (laughs) (laughs) What a jerk. It's so classic. So Keith pushes Hardy and Hardy like summons his people, his minions to take Keith outside. And Keith is like, how about you take me outside? And he's like, I can't. I'm the host. (laughs) Right. I have people here. (laughs) That would be such a bad etiquette. (laughs) I'm nothing if not a man of etiquette. (laughs) Amanda wants them to let Keith go. And she tells Hardy that she'll go back with him. Like, if he lets him go, and he's like, I want you to beg. Right. He's so gross. Ugh, it's so terrible. This is when Keith's detention buddies storm into the party, and um, Duncan threatens Hardy. Hardy tries to talk his way out of it, but ends up looking like a total coward in front of everyone. I can remember there were times at certain parties where there was planned fights or calculated fights. So I think it really did happen, those kinds of things. It may be not the, the whispering and then people want, but it was very much like, oh, there was this anticipation of confrontation, you know, if you will. So like and a deliberate setup? Not so much a setup, but it was like, yeah, if so-and-so does show up. Okay. So as much as I wanted to say that this was a little cheesy and over the top, it was, it was closer than I care to admit. Mm. But- the whole begging bit in the whole thing, it's just, you hate Craig Sheffer right at the end of this whole thing. Oh my gosh. Like Hardy clearly just wanted to humiliate her right. in front of a crowd. Right. Which is why it's so lovely when like Duncan and his friends come in and they rescue everyone from that. But then also he's not going to hurt anybody. You know, he's like, we might like make him sweat or whatever, make him nervous, but like, we're not going to hurt anybody, you know? So like here, all of the kind of outcasts end up being like the totally decent the good humans. Guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's usually how it works, right? It's usually the outcasts right. oh, that are. Totally. Also, like I wrote this in my notes because it is really a good line when he comes in and he's like, this must be a hen house because I don't see nothing but chicken shit. <laughs> oh, such a good line. And that guy's great. And like, I love it when he puts his head on Amanda's yes. shoulder. Oh my God, such a good yeah. move. And then that scene where like Shane like looks at the guy with the sunglasses. Yes! Like, oh. <laughs> I love it. It's so good. Amanda feels empowered by all of this. And she tells Hardy that you're over and she slaps him twice. Oh, it was yep. such a move. Yeah. Like normally I'm not a fan of, you know, violence. violence but <laughs> he was particularly horrible. Yes. And it was the 80s. <laughs> Right. So, okay, they decide to leave the party and Watts apologizes to Amanda for misjudging her. She walks away. And I think part of it is she thinks, well, she's not as terrible as I thought she was. So, fine. If this is what he wants, fine. I love him. I'll let him have what he wants. She's kind of reached that point where what more can I do? I was here to protect him. I was here to kind of be on his side, but he's kind of Duncan's already been involved. And the, <laughs> so now she's kind of feeling probably foolish, I guess. But again, going back to, you know, she really loves him. 
So she does. And, and so she's walking away and she's walking away in tears. And Amanda tells Keith, I'd rather be right and stand on my own. It's worth noting though, that when Leah Thompson was considering taking the role of Amanda, it was really important to her that her character had more depth. She said, I was a really strong feminist as a young person, and I always tried to break down the barriers of the female stereotypes in interesting ways. I felt too many things were dependent on her physical beauty, and I didn't feel I was beautiful enough to carry that off. Thus, I felt my character should have more inner beauty. Did you guys feel like her character had a lot of inner beauty? I did not. I I didn't see what she was into that would have caused me to go, oh, she's deep. She's deep. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, she wasn't horribly shallow, right? Like, she did have the sort of understanding that she was wanting things that were like above kind of her station that she was in in the world and that that kind of so like she had a little bit of a conflict but I don't know that I saw like it wasn't like she was nice to old ladies or liked animals or had anything like you know the nicest thing she did was at the gas station to be like you know cut it out when (laughs) Hardy was being a jerk does that equal inner beauty like Right. Like I didn't even see her necessarily try with Watts. Like if Watts was such a good friend and, and obviously we know that Keith and Watts are best friends and, and that's, I'm assuming well-known on campus. Right. So like, if she really had all this like depth and inner beauty, then like, I feel like she would have maybe tried a little harder with Watts. I mean, she's the third wheel on this date. It's kind of awkward and weird, but like Deutsch and Hughes, really wanted to make Leah Thompson happy. So they rewrote her character to be, quote, far more sympathetic. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means in terms of her character. Far more sympathetic to what? Right. Yeah. I mean, maybe they just like highlighted sort of her struggle more so that it was like understandable sort of why she put up with like the idea that she was a decent person, but she really wanted these things that she couldn't access any other way. So, Mm -hmm. but that's not the same as inner beauty in my, in my opinion. And honestly, like this moment that you're talking about where she's like, you know, it's going to feel good to stand on my own. I wonder if this was added because it feels awkward to me. Like there's just something in this scene where I'm like, why does this make me so uncomfortable? Like why? (laughs) So, like something's off and I, and it may be that they like added that in late. And so it just doesn't quite. Again, it's a little disjointed. Else. Yeah, I agree. Right. I There's agree. some dissonance going on there. So if she would have attended detention, uh, or we would have seen her interact with Duncan or that crew, like something that made her again, made it seem like she had this different side of her because yeah right the, the biggest we get of her is that she lives in that house that's you know on the other side of the tracks you know that's the that's the deepest She's we so get deep yeah it's, right it's, we don't even get any other sense like it's not even like she's taking care of an ailing grandmother in this you know house on the wrong side of the tracks it's just and maybe it got edited out maybe it was there and it was edited and i think it's important that we recognize that just because someone isn't shallow, it doesn't mean she's deep. I like that. A lack of shallowness doesn't make you deep. I like that. You know. So this is when Amanda 
decides, I'm not shallow. I don't need these material things. And she gives the earrings back to Keith and she tells him to go after Watts. And he gives her a kiss on the cheek and they say their little goodbye. What she says to him is, in your heart, you wanted to give these to somebody else. Yes. Do you think that that's true? Because I think no. I think no. Also, I told you from the very beginning, I never saw this love connection from him to her. There's never a glimpse of it, even when they're kissing. Right. They could have just had like one brief moment after she leaves of him being like, huh. Huh. Yes. You know? (laughs) A look, a pensive moment, something. Right. And so that's just a weird part too. Like I... And I feel like they, like, added that part in oddly somewhere. Because, like, I can buy that he, like, recognizes this in that moment and is like, okay, like, let's do this. But not that he had these deep, festering feelings that he was suppressing. (laughs) Right. It's like we wanted to see a little glimmer of that he saw Watts in that manner, especially in that kissing scene, that there could have been a moment where he kind of pulls away and is like, yeah, like the most we get is you're blushing. Uh, 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 (laughs) You're pretty. It's like, was that the first time he ever saw her and thought that she was actually pretty? And what does that mean? Does that mean I have feelings for you because I think that you look pretty in this moment? No, it's weird. Again, a really big disconnect. And so for him to all of a sudden be running after Watts, you know, like, don't be upset or it's okay. Or we're still friends or I care about you. Yeah. But no, it's like, he's running after her and then he picks her up and spins her around. And then they have this passionate kiss and you're like, what? I just got whiplash. Like what just happened? No, that part I'm okay with. You are? I am. I'm okay with that because I think that that does happen sometimes where like you don't, realize something that was right in front of your face okay fair but we don't see the realization we don't see that moment right it kind of gets told to him by amanda right it's not like we see (laughs) well if amanda says it it must be right and i do feel like when they come together that like i believe him i believe that he has feelings for her in that moment i just don't believe that like Hitherto that moment, um, he had those feelings. <laughs> right. Something must be on the cutting room floor that helped Something us. Something really important is on that cutting room right. floor. Yeah, because to your point, when it's almost like you're watching a different movie, it's like all of a sudden, like it's like we invented it in our head. This was coming. You know? It wouldn't have taken a lot. like Because like when they come out of the party and it's clear that Watts has been crying, we could have had what? you know, my acting teacher used to like to call beautiful actor moments. Uh, We could have had a beautiful actor moment of him being like, oh, you know, but we didn't even get that. Like we get, like we get it from Amanda of being like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah. Okay, so let me ask you this. If Amanda hadn't told him, I think I want to stand on my own. He wouldn't have gone. Exactly. Keith would have just been with Amanda. It's not like he would have been like, you know what? I had this realization somewhere in the party that, you know what? I I really want to be with Watts. No, he would be with Amanda right now if Amanda didn't like let him go. Right. It's true. So he would have just said, well, well, there there she goes. Okay. And then just, he would have drove them home. 
I, him and Amanda. Uh, yeah, I, I think he so. kind of would have been Watts like. And would he just be walking? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I wrote down in my notes that when he picks her up and spins her around and they have that kiss, he apologizes because he didn't know. Did he actually do that? Or did did I? I can't remember. No, because she says, yeah, well, you're stupid. I always knew you were stupid. Okay. So, yeah. So that's why I can buy it. That, like, it's like, it's just all of a sudden clicking. And I think that that does happen sometimes where you're like, okay, yeah, no, I feel this too. Like, But only because the other person right but something has to happen to make it click and for i mean he's a little obviously he has missed this whole time well he is stupid so watts is right you're stupid (laughs) maybe it was like an awakening where everything just kind of came into extreme focus where he was in a daze walking out with Amanda, but then when she said it all just kind of clicked. I mean, I, that's possible too. I mean, he, he was just drunk kinda... on Amanda and then she sobered him up. Yeah. He then gives the earrings to Watts and says, you knew you were going to get these. Yeah. See now it's good. No, she didn't. She was like, I didn't. Well, I hoped. N- no, I don't believe that she knew she was going to get them. And I don't believe that she hoped. Oh, I think she hoped because she essentially picked them out. But I don't think she thought she had a snowball's chance in hell of getting them. So this is the long, this is a very long game on all their parts. Never underestimate the ability of a girl to hope in an unrequited love circumstance. (laughs) You're right. Wow. (laughs) Is that, you guys say it so resoundingly. Is that, it's, okay. Yes. Trust, trust me. (laughs) I sadly speak from experience. (laughs) (laughs) So she puts them on. She asks Keith how they look. And he says, you look good wearing my future. I love that line, though. I do, too. I like it. I really do. Yeah. As awkward and weird as everything is, like, leading up to this, like, big moment where he picks her up and all this stuff happens... I really do like the ending. (laughs) It just makes me happy. Totally. Again, in a vacuum, that ending is like perfect. I just love it. It's a great like cinematic. And it's what every girl who's like ever been in that situation wants, Mm -hmm. right? Like he made the right choice. Mary Stuart Masterson said, all anyone says to me a quarter of a century later is, I love that part where you get the earrings. She's like, it's so weird. That material aspect is not who Watts is. It's more than the earrings, clearly. Right. She's not materialistic. And yet, like the significance of the earrings, that is what she's valuing in that moment. I don't think she cares that she has like fancy diamond earrings. So apparently in the final draft of the script, and this is interesting, Keith calls Watts by her real name, which is Susan, by the way, who knew? Hmm. And he tells her that he loves her. And she also supposedly tells him, okay, the earrings are going back in the morning and you're going to art school, to which he says, we'll keep one and make it a ring. I hate that. I hate that ending. No, that's terrible. Because also they're in high school. Yeah, that one's not pimp. Also, you can't return one earring. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) That's a really good point. 
I can suspend disbelief on a lot of things like Star Wars and Battlestar Galactica. But returning <laughs> one airing, I, I draw returning the line. One returning airing. one airing. And then do you really see Watts as being like, so like now that we're together, I'm going to tell you all right. the things I'm going to tell you how to right live your life. Now. So all of a sudden, Keith went from five minutes ago, not realizing that he wanted to be with Watts to now realizing that he wants to be with Watts to now realizing he wants to marry watts in the span of five minutes right like thank goodness that didn't that's terrible (laughs) it's terrible it's terrible and i would like to think if they tested that on audiences audiences would have been like i mean no offense to the writers but man that's just bad writing john what's up with that yeah (laughs) so let me ask you this you know as as ladies like if you knew a guy that was their previous relationship you're kind of courting them now and you knew that that situation actually happened it didn't work out but would that be a red flag like this guy's a little unstable it's like a dumpster fire of red flags (laughs) (laughs) right good i'm glad to hear that truthfully like in dating like sometimes people share what they think are funny little anecdotes and you're like oh wow okay thank you check In terms of legacy for this film, Leah Thompson said, I hear from more men than women who love it, but I can't tell you why. Maybe because it's two girls fighting over a guy or because it's about a guy trying to find himself. I also hear from a lot of gay women who love Watts. I'm sure she hears a lot from a lot of straight women who love Watts. I love Watts. You love Watts. What's not to love about Watts? (laughs) I know. Clearly the better choice. Yeah. So, but that's interesting. Like she hears from more men than women who love this film. I wonder why. Kenny, do you have any insight on that? As the man speaking for all men and all right. mankind. <laughs> yes. As cool as you are, I, I think there's always that thing where you were uncool at some point, whether that was when you were eight or you were 12 or 14 or 17, whatever it was, you probably still in your heart, you're still feeling like, yeah, I, can, I remember those days where, you know, I couldn't get a second look for, and I was always just like an outcast and right or the underdog, the underdog. Yeah. That's, that's the better term for it. And I, I think that's why like you can find probably the billionaire up on the hill and he probably still cites some kind of wonderful is that, oh yeah, it's a great movie you know, it's <laughs> because of Keith, you know, because of, he's always, you know, and uh, often those guys, those successful guys later in life, they weren't that cool in the early days. You yeah, know? it's true. So like when Keith wins, then he wins on his own terms. He he makes it all happen. It's like it's like a win for every man. It's a win for every man, and it's like please, every guy dreams of having a young Mary Stuart Masterson as their best friend. Like please, like right? She's very cool. Okay, so this is interesting. This was actually John Hughes's final teen film before moving on to more adult themes. What adult films did he make? Plane trains and automobiles. Uncle Buck. Lots of things. But like, so different. I don't know. He just like stepped out of the teen genre specifically. The teen angst drama, probably more. Yes, the angsty teens. But still, I also just find it very charming. Like, And it's not necessarily charming start to finish. You're like, what a charming, beautiful, like wrapped in a bow. But there's just so many charming moments and characters like Duncan and Watts and well, th- th- there's a thing, right? It's like like albums. They, there's records, albums that are meant to be listened to as a record or an album. And then if you pluck out individual songs, it's, it, they're okay. They're not that great, whatever. And then there's albums that are just a series of singles 
that don't sound like a cohesive album. And I almost feel like some kind of wonderful is a series of singles that I'm like, you can extrapolate that last scene and present it on stage and to be a great scene. Yes. Or that kiss, that kiss is yes. phenomenal. Like what a moment, right? Like there are just some really, really awesome scenes in this, but like, does it all stitch together? Right. Like that scene in, in that, the Suzuki uh, with uh, Amanda and the girl from Herman's head. Oh my God. When I look at her, all I can see is Herman's head. Also. Yeah. That's all I could see. So I, you know what? I completely forgot that that show existed at all. Okay. I think about that show way more than anyone else in the world. I think about Herman's head a lot and I, I can't explain it. I went and saw a live taping of Herman's head. I you did went not. As they, they shot it. I did. So you should be the one thinking about Herman's head every day, not me. Yeah, I will. I mean, I I made the reference. I made the Herman's head reference. <laughs> so, so I funny. apparently think about it relatively frequently. I think about Alf more than well, I think about Herman's head. I think head. about Alf a lot, too. I do. I binged Alf like <laughs> two months ago. I binge watched that show. It was it was interesting. That's a journey. <laughs> okay, let's talk about the characters. What did they go on to do? I think that, and and it hurts me, but I think that Watts and Keith ended up together and that they had a lot of very hot sex. Okay. And then Keith went to art school because they returned the earrings. Because she told him to. Right? Mm -hmm. And they broke up because Keith started getting all hoity-toity with, like, the super artsy whatever. And Watts was like... I don't need that man. And then probably maybe Watts ends up in some like really interesting relationship with like maybe a guy, maybe a girl, who knows. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like I feel like whatever relationship Watts ends up in that it's like really cool and like very avant-garde. So they don't stay together in your ending. No. Okay. Kenny, what do you think? I think that's true. I think they do go separate ways in the college years. But I would like to believe there is something that happens post-college that they cross paths again, possibly in New York or something, just by accident, by happenstance. She's out there because of XYZ and he's out there because of art. He has an exhibition and like she's like a drummer in a band, like a really cool band. And like they meet a new, that's the movie I want to see. Yeah. Maybe she's the drummer on the tonight show. Oh, and then he comes on as like a guest and she goes by Susan. No, is her name Susan W. I don't know. But, yeah. I think that the reason I want my ending is because I want Watts to end up with somebody who like really values her. And you don't think that can be Keith. I think that Keith, even in his best version of himself, is always going to take Watts for granted on some level. Oh, I see. Like, I want Watts to be with somebody that, like, feels about her the way she felt about Keith. Okay. Like, I'm glad she got him in this scenario because that's an important part of her story arc. But, like, in the end, I want her to have this, like, really amazing relationship and i just don't know that keith is the person for it and maybe 
she's living with her brother on the Oregon coast. And then they take in a guy who kind of has like a very Buster Keaton sort of silent movie type of approach. Looks a little like Johnny Depp. Yeah. And she, she takes to wearing snorkels and making <laughs> smoothies. I like it. She now goes by, by June. Yeah. Or some, some names sort of Juniper Pearl Pop. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah. Well, I'm just throwing I that love out there. It. You just spitballing here. I love yeah, it. Just, spit, just spitballing. <laughs> okay. And okay. yeah. And somebody uh, should and, make a movie about that. Yes. I would like to see that movie as well. Right. Well, I like it. Just an idea. I don't. I, I like it. So what about Amanda? Or we just don't care. She moves to the city, New York. She changes her name to Caroline. I, I get where you're going with it. Kim. Yeah. She goes back to the future. Um, <laughs> Leah Thompson thinks that she would have had a career in fashion, that she would have been a CEO. Yeah. So so the question is, would she just end up being this like super independent woman and like maybe not having a relationship? Oh, I think she wants the finer things in life. And I don't think that she's going to depend on a man to get them. So I think she's going to go to college. I think that she's going to get a great job. I think she's going to pour herself into her career, make a shit ton of money and, um, you know, worry about the relationship thing later. Yeah. Because I I didn't get the overwhelming sense that she was like this nurturing, like warm. Right. Or that she was like pining to have like a bunch of kids. and Right. I didn't get that sense that she was like... This is very important. The only reason why she's with Hardy Jens is because it's like the status thing, right? Right. Right. He was a means to an end. In terms of Hardy, I mean, I think we can all agree he like went to jail for some white for insider crime. trading. Yeah, like for sure. He he like ended up being like a crypto guy or something and <laughs> and doing things really really poorly. Yeah, and I yeah. feel like Duncan probably became a tattoo artist but like a really like famous cool one where you need like a mad reservation like years in advance yeah yeah Yeah. that cat that he that he scratched into the desk i mean like he's got skills right and the girlfriend without skin i mean (laughs) 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 okay guys this is your favorite movie what are your final thoughts my final thoughts are that this movie is best enjoyed without analyzing it too deeply. Okay, fair. And really focusing on the kiss and the ending. <laughs> like, these are the keys to successfully enjoying some kind of wonderful. What about you, Kenny? I think it's best watched after you kind of watch the other more famous John Hughes films. You watch this one and take it as a kind of a a different film. Okay. Do you watch it before Pretty in Pink or do you watch it after Pretty in Pink? I think you watch it after. I think just by nature of you're going to watch the more popular ones, you watch this one after. But I, I would embrace the concept that it's like track 11 on a 14 track CD <laughs> that you just kind of like, <laughs> at first it takes a while to really like it. And then a couple of years later, you're like, you're jumping to, you know, I don't, I'm making a CD references, but you right, know what I'm like, saying? How you're old going, are you, Kenny? Yeah. I'm like, people are going, what's a CD? What's a but CD? You're going to the 11th song on a track list, right? You're going, that's the one. I mean, it's a treasure and I, and it's a treasure that seemingly not everybody knows about. Exactly. Right. It is. I mean, this is not my favorite movie, but it does have a couple of my favorite scenes. It's overall super enjoyable. You would totally watch it with your teens it's a fun watch. And I mean, a love triangle. It's timeless. Right. 
Thank you so much for joining us, Kenny. We really appreciate you taking the time. Oh yeah, no, I was great. I was, I really was looking forward to it for quite a while and uh, it was everything that I hoped it would be. So I could talk do another three hours. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you all for joining us. If you're enjoying the pod, we invite you to rate and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you just can't get enough, we invite you to check out our Patreon. For just $5 or more per month, you'll gain access to bonus episodes. And more importantly, your money goes to supporting the pod. You can find us on the socials and the web at theuntitledgenxpodcast.com. We hope you keep in touch, beautiful people. Bye. Bye. Bye.